Good morning, church. Good morning, City Life. Good morning, family, friends, visitors, online watchers. Welcome to church. Welcome to City Life. We're so grateful to have one more week. Last year, we celebrated one year of being a remote church, and God has been good, and so we continue to preach His name, continue to be every week throwing ourselves at Scripture and saying, Lord, what do you have to say to us this week? And so if I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese, and I am the lead pastor here at City Life, and I absolutely love my job and love this church. Couldn't picture be doing anything else with my life. And uh, today we are continuing into our mystery series through Ephesians. So far, last week, we started our third major thematic section of Ephesians. We started with new life, looking at how Paul is unraveling to the saints in Ephesus and Asia Minor, that when you say yes to Christ, you are a new being. Everything is new and different. And then from new life, he took us to new society because God, through healing you, through healing me, through making you new, me new, all of us, the believers, we come together and we start being this new society, which is his church. That he's recreating humanity and the world through this church and how that's a major part of his plan going forward. And it's, it's so much more beautiful than we could have ever imagined or even asked for. But in his wisdom, he did that. And then last week, we started our third section, New measures, that this life that we have should be lived out of this so grateful, saying, Christ, you gave me everything that that is important. You gave me everything that matters. And so I need to respond to you by measuring the life I live and pursuing what you tell me to every day. Make the decision to follow you and then every day continue to walk that out, continue to explore what that is. Paul took, uh, to me, honestly, an unexpected first step towards new measure, and he talked about unity. That one of the measures of the believer's life, of the church's life, is if we're, if we're measuring our life and responding accordingly, that we will be a unified people who love unity and fight for unity. And then this week, we, Paul takes another audacious turn, and I, quite honestly, a mostly uninvited step. And he starts talking about purity. I I saw this documentary once about narcolepsy, right? I think we're familiar with it. We've probably seen it in a few comedy movies being made fun of all the time. But narcolepsy is this disorder in a person. It's this condition that some small amount of people suffer where they they fall asleep during normal everyday lives. And just like any other condition, you know, you have some mild cases and you have the extreme and I saw this interview once about this guy who has extreme narcolepsy. And I, my heart went out to him so much because he was one of those people who had to wear helmets because at the drop of a hat, he would need to sit down because he knew he was going, like he, he was just going down for a little bit. And what he shared in the documentary, it just kind of, it really broke my heart. He said that one of the biggest triggers for his condition is extreme emotions. And so he always had to regulate against being too happy because if he, got ever, he, if he was ever into something too much or too excited or too happy, the next thing he would know he would be waking up after a significant amount of time. Or if he ever got too sad, it would trigger him. And he knew, don't get yourself too sad. Don't let yourself indulge that much. Like, or just feel what you're feeling. 
stop it somehow because or else you're going to be sleeping, you're going to miss life. And I just kept on thinking to myself, what a unique uh, like prison cell to be in. What a, what a sad place to have to constantly be regulating how you feel because if you ever got too happy, you would miss something. Or if you ever got too low, you would miss something and not process what you're, what's happening to you. And church, we start here today because I think this portion of Ephesians captures so perfectly the life of a believer and an unbeliever. I think it so humanly and so accurately di- like looks at the two lives and points out the differences and, and the unique prison that a, a life outside of Christ is like. Today we're preaching to the heart. Today we're preaching to every single one of our hearts. And anyone who might hear this or anyone we know who does not put their faith and trust in Christ. We're we're talking into our hearts this morning. Paul, an unapologetic leader of the church with God, our unapologetic loving father, is taking a step into our lives to talk about the conditions of our heart and our lives when they're lived far away from him and when they're lived close to him. And so today we are unapologetically going after what Christ says in his word. We're going to read this passage that to so many people is unwelcomed, to so many Christians is unwelcomed, but that speaks entirely into where our hearts are at. And so let us pray before we go there like we usually do, especially in the theme that we're in of new measures so that we approach God's word in unity and so that we can talk about purity today and say, Lord, uh, what, are you, what are you drawing out in my life today? What are you teaching me new today? What are you working in my life to change the life that I live, the measures that I use in my life? And so please, uh, let's bow our heads and, and pray with me. And so, Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for causing everyone out there to be here with us today. I thank you for everyone that's listening to my voice now, Lord, that you have orchestrated to get to this, Lord. I thank you for writing Ephesians down with Paul in the first place. I thank you for caring, and I thank you for sending out this word. Lord, I pray that we, your people, would be people categorized and known by pride by purity and unity, not pride. Lord, I pray that we would be so in step with you and your spirit that we are promoting purity in our lives and in the life of this church and in all of the activities that we take on. Lord, we love you. Please, Holy Spirit, you If you are not here, we don't want to be here. So please be in the preaching of this word. Be in the hearing of this word. Lord, we love you and we want to be more in love with you. Teach us, open up our eyes to something beautiful today. I pray all of these things in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. So today we're reading from Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 17, we're going to dip into chapter 5 until verse 4, or including verse 4. God's Word says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have, be- they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed to- greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints." Let, them be, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Church, this is quite a passage. This is... Ugh. I categorize this passage under my super theological category of, uh, that I like to call my cringe files. Shout out to all the X-Files fans out there. Best show ever made. And I put this in my cringe file because I think equally Christians and non-Christians, non-believers cringe at this same passage. I think that Christians cringe on this because they're often afraid of a God who is able to tell us how to live, who is able to inform what's proper and what's not. See, we're not always properly aligned with Jesus as our Lord under his lordship. And so I think when we hear this at times, we want to react. We want to be defensive. We want to turn our nose to God and say, you know, God, okay, you're my Lord, but you stay out of this. I'm going to keep you at hand's length away. You're not going to touch this yet. I have some things to work out before I get there. Like, no, God, not right now. This is my business. And then I'll use other parts of scripture to justify doing what I want to do. Or the opposite of that is I think Christians, sometimes that we read this and accept it, 
But then we pray against all hope that no one will ever bring this passage to us. And we say, Lord, please not this, not this, not this. I'm not going to talk about Jesus anywhere because I'm afraid of the cringe files. I'm afraid of these passages here. It's like, no, 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 no. I I don't want to be wrongly represented. I don't want to be mislabeled. I don't want to do this. So I'm going to pretend like passages like this do not exist. That this isn't a passage that like is going to be making too many Pinterest boards out there, be quilted on too many or embroidered on shirts. Like, no, no, no. This, this though is so equally important as those passages that make our hearts just fly with butterflies. And to unbelievers, those who refuse to accept God as their Holy Father, as their Lord and Savior, their typical response many times is, here we go again. Here we go again. Okay, okay. We know the certain passages that we go to to question what God is really good. He's like, oh, here we go again. Behavior modification. Too many preachers. The preacher I grew up with, he didn't care about us. He just told us. He bashed us on the head every week. Change the way you live your life and then you will be okay. Change the way you live your life, you sinful sinner. Or, you know, and then like maybe God will love you. No, 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 no. I've been through this again. It's just behavior modification. Or they could say, like, oh, this is just the assimilation of the masses. This is how you, well, the church used to control the people to do what they want all the time. You know what? This is for poor people in other parts of the world because they have nothing else to hold on to hope. I don't need this. Or too many times people react to a passage like this and say, you know what, God, he's just an angry man up there waving his hands at me because he's loud. My music is too loud. He's, he wants me to stop being who I am. He wants me to stop doing X and Z, and he only cares about what I'm doing. I I, I wash my hands from this guy. And it's unfortunate that this is the response that Christians and and non-believers share because this passage is so beautiful. This passage screams out a God who is our Heavenly Father. I think some some passages like John 3.16, right, scream out His love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son to whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But Ephesians chapter 4, 17 to 5, 4 speaks as much love as John 3.16. You know, it even this passage, Ephesians 4, 17 to 5, 4, speak as much love to us as 1 John 3.16. That says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, both soaked in love, soaked in God's heart for his people, and him acting out of the nature of being our Heavenly Father. And before we really dive into our main points, there are just a couple of things that I I could not forgive myself if this Sunday went by without throwing this in there. First, I am so grateful that God in His wisdom and His ability to speak to who we are and His tender love to us puts this passage in chapter 4 and not in chapter 1. Because God is communicating to us, you know, He's like, look at all these things that I've done for you. Look at all these promises I've made. Look how I, I died for you. I sacrificed the best of what I had for you. And it's not until chapter halfway through chapter four that I'm going to start to talk to you about your life because you know what? I'm your father. And let, let me teach you how to live a better life, how to take care of your own heart in better ways. He doesn't start off yelling at us like an angry dad. He starts off talking to us with promises and love. And then he's like, you know what? Also, because I love you, I won't shut up about these things. I'm going to tell you about how to live life better. 
better measures. I also love the very human way that Scripture goes about God. And God's inspiration informs Peter to reach out to us and talk about our new measures of life, going between like going from sin to where we like his redemptive promises, going through where we fall to like where he picks us up. It's such a real, it's such a human understanding of God gets us. Scripture gets our nature and how we are. I can be so on point and right now ready to conquer Jersey City for Christ, and in five minutes, I'm crying and broken. I can be so strong in the Lord and then get triggered and in five minutes be so broken. It's because Scripture has a right to speak into our hearts and in our lives because it gets us. It gets us that we're good. This isn't just a list of what we're doing wrong, but it's a list of our heart exposing ourselves, The Bible is like a perfect mirror showing me myself all the time. It's like, okay, Lord, help me to see myself in this passage. Help me to see my brokenness that you so intimately know and so intimately care for day by day. Another a funnier note, but one that I know for some people, it's, it's, it's a thing, is that we are dipping into chapter 5 of here. We are breaking up these natural chapter orders. And let me just say, the numbers in the Bible, the chapters, the verses are all human-made. They are not inspired. So for those of us who are like, oh my goodness, next week we're going to start in verse 5. I, I don't know if my OCD brain can deal with that. It's okay. It's okay. I promise you we're not doing anything heretical here. We can easily start in verse 5 next week. And then lastly, today is all about contrast. Taking the life of an unbeliever and contrasting it with the life of a believer. And so let's dive in. Let's jump right on in into what God has to say. Our first point is the unbelieving life. Let's read verses 17 to 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I think the first place that we need to start with this passage, the word that like, to me pierces through the heart of the matter is the word in verse 19, they have become callous. Now, callous in its definition, the Greek word in its definition, it means to cease to feel pain or grief. Let that sink in for one second. To cease feeling pain or grief. Armitage Robinson, a famous commentator, pastor, he he writes about how the verb here means to petrify, to become hard and therefore insensible, to even to the point of getting blindness. It's callousness here does not mean stubbornness it's not something that you fall into but it's it's a process it's a developing thing years over years and decision over decision that you get to this place and to me this is so insightful this is such the picture of what a life away from christ really is because it becomes callous and this this is what i think scripture is saying to us We all feel pain. Every single one of us feel pain, right? You can't be alive for an hour without feeling some type of pain in this world, right? Most of the time. 
Scripture says it rains on the just and the unjust the same. And so we're all feeling this pain, but the life of an unbeliever has no release from that pain. You and I, we live in what Ephesians has taught us about right now. Believers in Christ, we live knowing that our sins have been redeemed, that we are unified with the Lord. We're sitting on the throne. We have all of these promises, an inheritance, a father, a family, one another. We have access to redemptive, deep, deep redemptive gospel healing presence. To take our deepest wounds and make sense of them and bring redemption from and bring God's love into, right? We, we get hurt all the time, but we have all the resources that really matter to get healing, which is Jesus Christ himself. But the life of an unbeliever does not have that same access. And so while we know unbelievers who are healthier than other ones, somewhere in their hearts, deep down inside, everyone struggles because they don't know the one name to go to to find healing that heals all in all. I love how Scripture talks that the condition here is a, is a callous heart. That unbelievers are like, I'm getting hurt. I'm so tired. I'm so beat. I'm so taken advantage of. And I have nowhere to truly go with this. The only remedy I know in myself is to stop feeling at all. And so that, stop, that, that ability to stop feeling, give themse- they give themselves over to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity because I'm like, I need to feel something. I need, I need to feel something. We see that in pop culture all the time. How many songs do we hear come out annually about like, I only feel alive when I'm close to death or I'm in so much pain and I have nothing to do. So I'm going to numb myself more. And it's like, oh my God. And then scripture speaks into this and we're like that. Well, that's it. That's the condition. That's the difference right there. So we have a Christ who can heal us. So I can stay all day here, but we got to move on. The process here that Paul, the dilemma that Paul is talking about is that this, this callousness, this dying of the heart, it produces a few things. Don't, don't ever be confused that say, oh, that you can do this without producing something in your life. But it produces futility of the mind, a darkness in their understanding. It alienates them from the life of God and it leans them towards ignorance because their hearts are so hard, because they've been made to die for so long that the root of all of this is not that we are better in any ways that we have access to the one who can heal us. So this is the pagan process. This is what John Stott writes about. He says that hardness comes into the heart which leads to darkness and understanding, which further blinds them and and it produces deadness of the soul and then in turn produces a reckless living. Think about that process. A callous heart, a hardened heart, throws you into darkness and understanding and then a deadness in the soul and then to feel something, a reckless living. Here's an unpopular phrase that I might say, or the one that might cause people to be defensive. When I think about this picture of humanity, when I think about the biblical representation of what, what Paul is really saying here, this causes me to well up with pity. 
not a pity that is based off of me feeling superior. It's not a pity, pity that has any condensation, condemnation or thinking that I'm better than anyone. But it's causing me to say, I have found the one who heals every wound that I ever have. Everything that I've ever been through is I bring to him and he produces something out of it. And it causes me to have charity to everyone who does not know Christ because I can stand in front of everyone I know and everyone in public and say, I, I know the man who, have, who has known everything that I have ever done and he healed me and he loved me regardless. I, I have the one who has the words of life. I know the one who made me in my mother's womb and he heals me of everything. And so my heart, when I came to Christ, was beating for the very first time because of what he did for me. And to think that an unbeliever, and, you know, God, I love how God, this whole section is about responsibility. We are responsible for the lives that we live. And so God in his justice and his pursuit for righteousness doesn't excuse this, but he made the way for our hearts, all of our hearts to come back to him and start beating for the first time. He's saying, you know what? It's not okay. It's not okay. Just get to me and we'll make it okay. There's no brand of universalism in this where that says that everyone who gets, who meets, sees Jesus is going to go to heaven. No, no, it's not that, but it's saying, you know what? Jesus is the one who can heal every broken heart. And so I, that's why we make our whole lives about telling people about Christ. Because we know the one who can heal any heart. Let's, let's go to the contrast of this, the Christian life. Let's work at verses 20 to 24. God's word says this, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In high school, I took, a, I took photography for two years. Um, the, the teacher was the worst teacher I've ever had in my life in any subject, but uh, I still really enjoyed the, the class. I really enjoyed taking pictures. And if we had a camera that could take spiritual pictures, and we take all this group of unbelievers and believers, and this, picture, this camera took spiritual pictures, we would be able to see, we should be able to see the idea here is that even the spiritual camera would capture who is a believer and who isn't because that's how sharp the contrast between the two lives are. Again, all of Ephesians by grace, right? Nothing to do with our own merit, but everything to do with what Christ did. This is a, another passage. It has its own context, its own understanding in another way. But uh, Paul writes this again in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14, when talking about should Christians marry non-Christians, like he takes it as far as saying, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Again, and this has its own teaching that I would love to go into another day. But this is the picture. It's like this life between what a, what a believer has access to and what a, what a non-believer does is makes night and day difference. It looks completely different. 
And so the contrast to what we see in the unbeliever's life, the, the answers to hardness, to darkness, to recklessness, is in three lessons that we're taught. Before we dive into these three lessons that we taught, we need to have uh, one note here. In chapter 6, we're going to talk about, at some point in a few weeks, about the armor of God. Right, this is a famous passage about put your put the armor of God on. But let me let me pose this to you that the life of a believer, the activity of putting clothing on starts way before we put on the armor. It starts in this portion of scripture when we take off our old selves. Talks about it like in, in images here of taking off this old clothing, this old outfit, and putting on our new life, putting on our new being, our new faith our new understanding, our pursuit of Jesus. And so before we ever are soldiers in the army, we are new people with new clothing. That makes all of the difference. And so we, we, took, we turned to these three lessons that were given. And I know sometimes people talk to me, it's like, Pedro, come on, man. You focus way too much on grammar, but I'm not going to be apologetic today, just like Paul was. It's like, no, I'm like, when you learn these things about Scripture and how beautiful he's told his story, you just have to share these things. You see, the three lessons that we're told that go against the, the pagan process is rooted in the tense called the, the uh, aris tense. The aris tense is so beautiful. This is, this is the definition of it. Let me just read this. The aris tense uh, of the verb in classical Greek and in certain other inflected languages indicating past action without reference to whether that action involved was momentary or continuous. Let me break it down. When, uh, when something is communicated in the aris tense, it's this, it's this understanding. It happened, but does it keep on happening? It's like, okay, okay, I became, I was saved by Christ and I started to be sanctified. The moment I believed in Christ, my spirit was redeemed, but then my soul continually needs Jesus. And so it's this idea like, okay, something started, but did it happen 100% there? And I'm like, no, it happened throughout, continuous, every day that I need to go to Christ every single day and give myself back to Him, not for salvation, but like, Lord, I need you for my new measures. I need you to make me more like you today. And so the three lessons in verse 20, beautiful, beautiful lessons. First one, you learn Christ. I, I love that this is, a, I, I learned Christ and I said yes to Him, but now every day of my life is devoted to learning Him more that I need to learn him more daily, daily, daily. His lordship over me, that I accept his righteousness, his boundaries, the life that he tells me to live because it's better for me. I accept Jesus. I accept your new ethic for me because, man, mine was broken. And every day I, I give myself back into learning Christ, this new life. I, I like Psalm, Psalm 16, 5 and 6 says this, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have de a delightful inheritance, Lord. 
I need to pray that to you every single day I belong to you today. Lord, when I wake up tomorrow, let me put my whole life and soul back into your hands. Lesson number two, you heard him. You heard the substance of his teaching. Him, the teaching is Christ. That I've learned his ethic, that I've heard his story, that I learned about his life, I learned about what he taught. And now my whole ongoing pursuit is to learn it more every day, to live it out every day, to put it into practice every day anew. And then the third lesson is that we were taught in him. That not only is him, he the one that we're learning about, not only is he the one that we subjugate ourselves under, his lordship, but that he is even the atmosphere. John Stott writes that he's the atmosphere in which we learn about him. That you're like, Lord, I need to be in your Holy Spirit all the time. Day by day, every day, giving myself to the Holy Spirit more and more. Not just saying, okay, Lord, five years ago I said, come into my life, we're good, right? Or you do the work now. Do the work that only you can do. Or it's like, oh, everything that happens, God ordains it to happen, right? Like, no, 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 no. Every day, the heiress teaches me every day I have to bring myself back to you. This is, this is how the JBP translation translates this portion of Scripture. And I, I really liked it. I thought it was really on. It says this, verses 20 to 24. This is how they capture it. But you have learned nothing like that from Christ. If you really have heard his voice and understand the truth that he has taught you, no, what you learned was to fling off the dirty clothes of the old way of living, which were rotten through and through lust with lust illusions, and with yourselves mentally and spiritually remade to put up the clean, fresh clothes of the new life which was made by God's design for righteousness and holiness with no illusion. Beautiful. Lord, that you would teach us to daily go back to you, to daily partner with you in the work that you're doing in our hearts. For the sake of time, let's move on to the six old clothes activity. We're we're really pressed for time today. I I really got in it. We were never going to spend too much time in here for a reason, too. But we have to talk about this and be, to be responsible with what we've been given today. John Stott writes this, To learn Christ is to grasp the new creation which he has made possible, an entirely new life which results from it. It is nothing less than putting off our old humanity like a rotten garment and putting on clean clothes the new humanity recreated in God's image. You see, I also love the way that God challenges us, challenges our measures in this passage. Says that, you know, right? Him doing this tells us that, you know, what you do matters, the way you live matters. That He is so committed to righteousness and justice that if He's not teaching His own kids, because this scripture is, this part of scripture is written for us, those who already believe, if He's not teaching His own kids this, then who would He be teaching? And so with everything that he points out here, every one of our falsehoods, every shortcoming that we have that is in our nature, he teaches us three lessons. The first one being that all of the sins here, all of these patterns and habits, they all deal with relationship. 
Every single one of these is about creating or breaking unity and purity. All of them build up together to ask us questions like, how are you living? Are you living? Are you pursuing purity? Are you living a life that's different, that stands out? Are you living out Jesus' teaching that challenge every person in every culture and every age? The second thing here, the second lesson in this, is that uh, whenever God gives us a prohibition, that he's not giving it out of a place of being a grumpy old man who's bitter. It's not coming from a scorched earth preacher, but no, it's coming from a father who loves you. A father who so loves his children that he will not let them suffer, that he will speak into their lives because he cares. He will have the audacity and the boldness to teach his kids a better way of living because he loves us. Because we were made to know love and we were made to be loved. And then the third thing is that for everything he tells us not to do, for every place that he challenges our broken, fallen nature, he gives us the redemptive reason, the gospel reason, the theological reason. That he's not just yelling at us like, change this, change this. Oh no, this is pathetic duty. He's like, no, you know, I love you. This is why you shouldn't do this. Or you shouldn't give yourself over to this because I love you. You were made for better than that. When Ryan, my son, comes up to me and I'm either just at my wit's end or I'm tired, unfortunately, when he asks me why questions, sometimes I just say, because I said so. And I thank God that he's a better father than me. And he gives us some of them really important whys. Because he's a good father. Because he cares for us. And so the six activities, I mean, we have to at least talk about, but that, this is really your homework. I'm giving you homework to do this week. Read from 25 until the end. Read where God is telling you to be challenged. Like, read them. See which one touches your heart the most. All of us are represented on this list. Every single one of us is represented on this list. And so the six old clothes activity, right, the, the things that used to be in our, in our Gentile pagan life, used to be, verse 25, telling lies. Verse 26 or 27, letting anger become sinful. I love that God lets us be angry, that righteous anger is a thing, but hey, don't don't let it turn sinful. Stealing instead of working. Here, it's a little confusing because he talks about the devil and starts talking about the thief. There are separate ideas right here. You know, uh, verse 28 and 27 are separate. He's not talking about Satan being able to be redeemed and having good work to do. No, no. They're separate ideas. We say, no, don't, don't steal. Instead, teach the stealer, the thief, to live a good life, to work honestly with his hands, because that's better. Use your mouth for, for, instead of for evil, use it to bless. Verse 29 and 30. Use, what you, use the voice that you have that is God-given to bless people to speak life. Don't, don't be unkind. Don't be bitter. But practice love. Six qualities here to avoid. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Ooh, this is from uh, verse 31 to 5-2. Avoid those things. You know what? They're not better. Practice love. Love, or co- love covers a multitude of sins. And then sexual impurity and joking about crude things. These are all have to do with purity. These all have to do with unity. So I thank God that his end game here is speaking to our hearts. Saying, you know what? He has the remedy to make our hearts feel and live in the, all the appropriate ways. 
So let's conclude this all for a second. Let's bring this all together. The gospel activity that we've been given for this week is to take up the aorist tense, right? And say, Lord, I came to saving knowledge of you. But I need to do that again and again and again. I need to be filled with you again and again and again. And so help me take off this old, worn out, gross, dirty clothes. Let me put on this new life that you have for me, full of new measures, new boundaries, new abilities, new insights, and a new heart. Help me to learn how to do that. God, you care for my heart. For everyone lost in sin, Lord, you you care for them. You have an answer to what what their hearts are, are longing for. You know, some people will always rebel just because they want to rebel. I think a majority of people who are lost is because they're callous, because they've been so hurt and they have no answer. Christ is our answer. Christ is the one who makes us live for the very first time. Read back through Ephesians, the new life section. See all the promises that we've gained, not because we're amazing, but because we've already come to know the one who can do all of these things. And so in the new measure so far, Paul has taken us to two places. He's taken us to purity, and he's taking us to unity. And these are the new measures that we live out our lives. So how do we practice purity in your life and in the life of the church? How are you spurring other people to live out their faith in Christ like never before? Our new measure is to spread the acceptance and peace that we've been given. Because Christ so loves us that he gives us new hearts and new minds to see what's better for us and what's not. Let's be about sharing what we've been given to everyone out there who's lost and hurting. Church, we have some prompt questions for us this week, and so let's just dive right on in. Dive back into your, well, not back into, but into your new MCs for the first time on a Sunday. Let's dive in and process this with one another. Let's continue to be vulnerable and open with one another. So here are our prompt questions. All right, church, here are our prompt questions. And just another reminder, if you're not in an MC or if you're just out there and if you want to join, even if you can't join an MC, but you want to join a Sunday call, email me at preese at citylifenj.com or info at citylifenj.com. We want to connect you. Even if it's just this Sunday setting, we, we want to connect everyone that hears this. And so email us. Let us know. We'll connect you even right now before our group start. If you email me, even if you're 20 minutes late, we'll put you in a group right now, so email us. But here are our prompt questions. The first one, what about your lifestyle do you need to put off? Take off the old clothing, what do you need to take off? Question number two, what do you need to put on to fill whatever you took off? What in your life do you need to fill that hole that you've just made? What redemptive quality is it? And then prompt question number three, how can city life better embody unity and purity? This is our church. This is where we call home. And we want it to be a better home for all of Jersey City. And so what can God be moving in our church to be a better home for for the people here who don't know him? So city life, we love you. I love you. Can't wait to be together. Jump on these calls, and we'll talk to you very soon. Love you. Bye.